Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. We're going to do something a little bit different today because as I'm speaking, we're trying to get a member of the House Freedom Caucus over here to the studio or on Skype or something because there's something historic going on in the Capitol. And I don't think it's just inside baseball, but the um, presumed next speaker of the, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, um, Kevin McCarthy, is having a hell of a time trying to get the votes in order to be speaker. And I think he's on the third ballot now. They had to suspend um, the debate last night. They're back in today. Um, and in just a couple hours, they're going to resume this fight. What I've read, I don't have any inside information, but what I've read is that McCarthy's just going to keep going in hopes of wearing down these 20-ish members of the Freedom Caucus that that are demanding um, significant concessions in order to vote for him for speaker. And part of the problem is you don't, you, we don't know if there's, if there's a guy like uh, Steve Scalise, who's now the number two Republican, who, who might be sort of a consensus candidate. Um, I don't know the inside baseball, but I want to put this in context as someone that has been involved in the uh, budget process and the legislative process and advocacy for fiscal responsibility and, and limited government issues for uh, most of my career here in Washington, D.C. There's a reason why I'm still stuck in the belly of the beast, because that's what I used to do. And, and, a, and a lot of this started with John Boehner and the emergence of the Tea Party in 2008, 2009, because the old way of doing things, particularly in the House of Representatives, senators are different because senators have more rights and, and they're one of 100 members, and they have the ability quite often to hold up the process. Um, go check out Rand Paul's infamous uh, filibuster um, against John Brennan um, a couple years ago. And, um, but I've lost my train of thought, but we're going to keep rolling. Um, but what, 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 what happens historically in the House is that the, the speaker and the leadership, they control everything because they raise the money. It's a very top-down institution. Individual members don't have that many rights in the first place. But um, in practice, they, they really didn't have any rights or any voice at all because the, the speaker or the guy who had become speaker had raised all the money. He doled it out to members. So they, they very much owed their election and, more importantly, their re-election to the speaker. So when it came time to vote for the speaker, when it came time to vote on specific issues that the speaker wanted passed, um, the speaker basically owned your vote. And that prevented the kinds of things that are going on today because um, you know no, no one dared question the speaker. It's a very top-down institution that was always that way. Things changed um, with the Ron Paul revolution and, and probably more explicitly with with the Tea Party Revolution, we're talking 2008, 2009, um, because individual members started getting elected without the support of Republican leadership, without the support of, of the machine, if you will, like that, that, that sort of uh, cozy relationship between corporate donors and, and, and leadership doling out promises to, to all of these special interests. That's just how the machine used to work. 
And now you had these these upstart members of Congress, um, starting, by the way, with uh, Senator Mike Lee, but but um, some, I forget what the number was, but over 100 new members of Congress came in, in, in 2010, and that was that Tea Party wave. Um, so many of them not only didn't uh, win because of leadership, but many of them actually ran against, successfully ran against leadership candidates. So all of a sudden, Republicans are taking the majority in the House. Um, no one really predicted this was going to happen. And John Boehner would have been and was um, elected Speaker of the House. But he had a really hard time controlling his membership because a lot of them had these crazy ideas about balancing the budget and and eliminating the national debt and, and repealing Obamacare, all these things that they had run on. Um, so Boehner's response was to crack the whip. And, and the assumption was that he had the power to get all of these Tea Party members to fall into line. And this is where this, this ugly process of, of, of sort of corrupting the budget process and the legislative process and regular order, all these things that Justin Amash has so eloquently talked about, all of that stuff changed starting with Boehner. And you ended up with with um, these these so-called omnibus bills that were um, this grab bag of all this stuff that was jammed together at the end of the session. Usually, um, this would come to the to come to a head around Christmas Eve, and nobody knew what was in this stuff. Nobody had time to read it, and it was leadership's way of of pushing back against the the, the democratization of the Republican caucus. So, so John Boehner started doing this and, and the, 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 I don't know if the Freedom Caucus existed back then, but let's, let's call it the Freedom Caucus because you had this huge block of Republican House members who were fighting against this stuff. They, um, they, they got so annoyed with this process that eventually, led by our good friend Thomas Massey, they actually took Boehner out. And um, it's, I, I, I'm recalling this now that they took Boehner out and Kevin McCarthy, the guy who's trying to be speaker today, was number two at the time. I forget yet what year that was. Um, Logan, you probably don't remember what year that was, but um, let's say um, 12, 13, 14, something like that. Um, Kevin McCarthy fails to become the replacement speaker and at the last minute, um, somebody drafts Paul Ryan to become the next speaker. And Paul Ryan turns out to be worse than John Boehner. He, he, even though he uh, talked a good game about an open process and, and giving individual members a voice in the budget process, he actually uh, more centralized it. So that this whole process of, of these massive omnibus bills, and you've, you see this today with trillions of dollars and all of this authorizing legislation and all of this new spending happening without, without any sort of um, regular order, without any budget process, without any individual member having any input in, in all of this at all. It all started, um, ironically, because the, the House became more democratic, small d democratic, meaning that you had lots of different members with lots of different opinions, and all of them um, had... Uh, views other than what the leadership wanted. And remember, leadership, Republican or Democrat, the way that the machine always worked is you had all these special interests writing all these checks and they were buying access and they were buying the ability to drop their favorite legislation into 
into these these mystery packages. That's the old way of doing things. Now, also maybe ironically is is the fact that while it absolutely didn't work for for John Boehner, it didn't work for Paul Ryan. Um, it worked quite well for Nancy Pelosi because unlike um, these these upstart House Republicans, the Freedom Caucus guys, the Liberty guys, um, the 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 Democratic um, revolutionaries, guys like AOC and the squad, I guess I'm not allowed to say guys anymore. So um, people, um, humans like uh, uh, AOC and the squad, um, ultimately for all of their talk, they bent the knee and they, they always, uh, occasionally they will do symbolic votes against their leadership, but they notice how they trade their votes so that Nancy Pelosi always had the votes, including for speaker so her top-down, one-size-fits-all uh, speakership was actually quite successful. And part of that is, I think, Democrats are generally better apparatchiks. They, they follow the leader. They, they like to grow government. So like, even if they're not getting everything they want, even if, for instance, uh, Nancy Pelosi is growing the war state and it's something that AOC says she's against, um, she's also getting all of this other stuff that she wants to see in there, so so in in some ways, centralization and the authoritarianism of, of leadership controlling everything probably works better um, for Democrats. And but but it's also important to point out that AOC and the squad they're they're kind of all talk. They 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 pretend to be these um, anti-establishment types, but but they they just towed the line. They bent the knee um, in a way that that um, some House Republicans have have been unwilling to do. So we're here um, at this moment, and, and in just a couple hours, the House of Representatives is going to gather again to try to elect a speaker. And, and I don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's sort of interesting to put this in the context of everything we talk about on this show, and particularly um, um, things like the, the Twitter files. So on, on one hand, you have this, um, this process of... Um, of decentralization. I, I call it a, a democratized process in the sense that individuals and, and, and voters and, and people using social media and technology and, and, and organizations like, like the Ron Paul Revolution, spontaneous organizations like the Ron Paul Revolution, the Tea Party, um, you, could, you could in a different way put Trump in this category. You could absolutely put Bernie Sanders and um, Bernie Bros like AOC into that category. They've used technology and they, they've used information and this decentralization to organize outside of formal party structures. And in, in a lot of ways, that's, that's a very good thing, right? You have different voices and we're discovering that not all Americans are, are going to fit into this monolithic um, Republican versus Democrat thing and, and we're not just going to do what leadership tells us to do anymore. Um, in, a, in a lot of ways, that's exactly what freedom should look like. It should look like beautiful chaos and, and nobody knows exactly what's going on. Um, but the reaction to that from the machine has been to double down, to become more authoritarian, to um, um, actually um, try to uh, re-centralize their power and, and crush this, this, this grassroots revolution thing that's happening. That's why the speaker's fight is so interesting. Uh, because in a lot of ways, 
it sounds exactly like the fight that all of us are having um, that's been newly sort of amplified and exposed by the Twitter files. We're in this situation now where in a lot of ways um, technology, including all of these social media platforms, have, have very much liberated us from the old ways of, of getting information, of the old ways of knowing what's going on, the old ways of, of having to sort of accept what the corporate media and the government told us was true and not true. We don't have to do that anymore. And that's, that's where all these grassroots revolutions came from in the first place. And in and, and, and a lot of ways, we're freer than we've ever been. We can find alternative sources for information. We can actually find knowledge without anybody's permission. We can self-organize. We can speak freely. We can do all of these things that I think are very positive, um, only to discover that the government, the CIA, the FBI, all these other alphabet agencies that we don't even know exactly what they do, um, was very much um, attempting to reestablish its control over the process in extraordinarily authoritarian ways, in ways that I would argue are um, fundamentally un-American, dictating political speech, dictating healthcare choices, dictating what we're allowed to see, what we're not allowed to see. You know all of these things. Um, it's the same fight that Kevin McCarthy's having right now. He's trying to double down, and and this this small group of members are having none of it so far. Well, I, I have no idea what the, what the outcome of this is going to be at this point, but the empire is striking back. Um, and this was this was my take um, for 2023. I think this is the year when these heavy-handed tactics by the government to stifle our speech, to tell us what to think, um, very much aided and uh, abetted by Elon Musk. We're going to break free of this stuff. And it's going to be super cool. And the machine's going to be really pissed off about it. And they're going to try to figure out new ways to censor us as we have these conversations. Um, but I think it's very difficult for them to win because even when they have control, like if you read the Twitter files, the latest versions, um, they have control, uh, effective control of Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and probably other other important platforms that, that haven't been exposed by the Twitter files left. That's kind of everything. And you had all of the, this army of FBI agents um, uh, flagging tweets from, from some poor guy with 120 followers telling a joke about the election. And even that guy was getting censored. So they're they're desperate, and I think the, the exposure of these tactics probably triggers some sort of constitutional challenge. Um, I hope the First Amendment still matters, but either way, like if if they strangle one platform with this sort of collusion between uh, corporate business interests and government interests, um, people are just going to go somewhere else, and. Right now, they're, they're, they're perplexed because guys like Joe Rogan are uncancelable. Because if, if Spotify fires Joe Rogan, Spotify goes out of business. So he's, he's gotten so big as an alternative source of media, they can't kill him. Um, they can't, they're trying to, to take out Elon Musk, um, figuratively, hopefully. And, and they're having a hard time doing that because he's like a, he's like a honey badger. There's an old cultural reference. He, he doesn't give a damn. 
and he seems to be hell-bent on exposing all of these shenanigans because he seems, uh, who knows, he seems to actually believe that uh, free speech is, is an important and fundamentally American thing. And having honest conversations about uh, questions about uh, um, COVID lockdowns, for instance, something we've talked about forever on this show, um, that these, these are important things to have, not just for public health, but for the sake of scientific inquiry itself. Um, so what are they going to do when um, people are breaking from this, this paradigm where the government was dictating what was allowed, what's not allowed, what gets taken down, what gets striked, who, who gets demonetized? This was all being driven by the machine wanting to, to put us back in their box. Um, I don't think they're going to win. And uh, hopefully we, we talk to a member of Congress about what's going on on the House of Representatives floor right now. And, and, and hopefully in the short run, these renegade Republicans get a modicum of regular order. Like, uh, as I understand it, most of what they want is, is, is really radical stuff. Like, let's have a budget process again. Let's allow members to offer amendments. Let's have votes on those amendments. Let's know what's in that mystery package long before uh, Christmas Eve when, when they have to vote on it sight unseen. Um, that seems reasonable to me, and it's, it's kind, of, uh, kind of shocking that um, Republican leadership, having sort of run on these, these, these feel-good slogans like, we need to balance the budget and rein in the federal government, you would think, <laughs> nice buddy, you would think they would want to help do that. I'm going to wrap up here because because Reardon has showed up and and he he has an agenda other than mine. So, peace. Uh, Congressman, welcome. Uh, we'd love to get an update on what's going on with the uh, the speaker's fight and and what the Freedom Caucus is trying to accomplish. Well, Matt, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, for the opportunity to visit with you. You're a good friend, and thanks for all you do to stand up for liberty. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I was actually just texting with my good friend uh, Justin Amash this morning, uh, talking a little bit about, you know, he had some past experience with this stuff, uh, meeting with some other guys that have gone through this stuff before, like Massey and some others. Um, and and he, in the Freedom Caucus, and it's not a unified Freedom Caucus position. I want to be fair to my brothers and sisters who aren't fully on board, but there's a large block of us and a few non-Freedom Caucus folks. Our goal is pretty simple. The American people are getting rolled over by the establishment and the structures of this town using the backdoor ways of going through the quote rules committee, which is a committee that, uh, you know, meets pretty much in secret and is the way that you funnel legislation to the floor. And it's really powerful. And it decides what we get to vote on. It, it uh, decides how to uh, cut off and waive rules. So we're, we've been fighting since early December, as you know, to open up the floor, to open up the membership power, to offer amendments, and we've actually had some success. There's been some progress on that. But most of that has been progress with the sort of gun-to-the-head uh, pressure on McCarthy, who wants to be speaker. We're trying to get a cultural change among the Republican uh, conference to accept and adopt rules changes that empower members. But look, we're only kind of halfway there, which means you're not there. If we cannot retake and reclaim some power in the Rules Committee to make determinations what goes to the floor, then you're going to keep getting massive spend expenditures and, and, and bills like we got in that $1.7 trillion monstrosity that McConnell just jammed down the throats of everybody and got very, very little pushback from our House leadership, or at least not the way they should have pushed back. 
So that's what we're fighting for fundamentally, the leadership and the rules uh, necessary, the tools necessary to push back on the swamp in defense of the American people. You know, it seems like uh, the leadership at least talks the right game on this stuff because it, it seems like standard Republican positions that we need to return to some of these things that Justin Amash has been talking about for quite some time now, you know, regular order and a transparent budget process, because there's no way that the current system is going to get us back to not spending so much money we don't have. But so you're just calling them out to, I would argue, just to be consistent with what they say they want to do. See, that's it. It's a, you get it, right? And you're saying it in a way that I think people can understand. And people have been critical. Shit, talk about rules committee. Talk about I know this is all inside baseball stuff, but it's the inside baseball stuff that is killing the American people. Okay? They send us here to cut spending. We don't. They send us here to make good policy choices. We don't. We expand the bureaucracy. We fund the bureaucracy. And at the end of the day, we have to change the way we do things. And it's not enough to say, for example, oh, shit, don't worry, we gave you a 72-hour rule. Well, that's already the rule. It gets waived. Oh, shit, we're going to give you some rules changes with respect to single subject and germaneness. My friend Morgan Griffin and I started that effort, and then he carried the football and got it across the line. It's improvement. It means that you've got bills that are tighter. It means that you'd have bills and we'd have ability with amendments to sort of tighten it down to amendments that are actually relevant. But it's still stuff that can be waived. You ultimately don't have the power unless the speaker is 100% with you or unless the rules committee, which funnels everything to the floor and waives all the rules that bind, bind the conference to protect individual rights. If you don't have that, you have nothing. And I'm going to keep demanding it because my aim is to stop the swamp. We've got to finally do it. So you um, make some uh, predictions about what's going to happen. You guys go back into session to try to attempt to find a speaker in just a couple minutes. Um, what's going to happen next? So I believe that we're going to have some uh, exciting news on the, in the fourth round with respect to some people that uh, are going to stand up and, and get behind um, you know, an individual for speaker, and I think that we're going to uh, continue to fight. I hope we'll grow the numbers, but at this point, we've got, I know the 20 are strong and committed, and the people that were locked and loaded, hardcore against Kevin, saying they would never support Kevin, I was not one of those, um, and I remain uh, trying to find a solution one way or the other to get the rules and move this stuff all forward, but I'm telling you, the block that is against and fully locked against Kevin is massively growing after the Republican conference yesterday, where they threatened members to take them off committees, and they lied about what was being attempted to do as a good faith negotiating tactic on Sunday, on Monday night, and uh, it solidified some more hardcore positions. So we're gonna keep fighting. Okay, well, I, I'm gonna let you get to the floor, and I really appreciate you giving us the time. Uh, good luck and, and keep fighting. Thanks, Matt, thanks for all you do. Well, let's, let's visit again soon, we need to get a beer. Okay, thank you, sir. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.